This morning we're continuing what we started last week. Last week we talked about rejoicing in relationships as we're going through Philippians chapter 1 and Paul's prayer there at the beginning of chapter 1. So we're going to be continuing. This is a continuation from last week. This is part 2 of rejoicing in relationships as we work our way through verses 6 through 8. Friday evening and all day yesterday was a biblical counseling conference that was just a delight, a joy to be together and to learn from God's Word at this conference. And the theme of this conference was biblical reconciliation. Biblical reconciliation. Now why a theme like that? Why would there need to be a conference and a theme on biblical reconciliation? Well, because Christ desires for His church to be unified. For there to be reconciliation in relationships within the body of Christ. That's what He desires. Unity within the church. Last week, we began to look at the, the final part of Paul's prayer of thankfulness and joy in the believers' lives there in Philippi. And specifically, Paul's life as he thinks about the Philippian believers and the thankfulness that he has for them and the joy that he has in the relationship that he has with them. We talked about how we find joy in spiritual relationships. As brothers and sisters in Christ, there is joy that is found as we are united in Christ. Those who believe in Him. There's a joy that we have in our relationships with one another that we don't have with unbelievers. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 tells us that joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit, which means it is produced by the Spirit in our lives. And because it is a gift from God that is produced in us by the Spirit of God as we walk in the Spirit, that means that true joy is something that an unbeliever will never experience. Never. Because they don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Therefore, the fruit of the Spirit will never be produced in them. And they will never be able to experience the joy that you and I are able to experience as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have God's Spirit in us. And as we continue to walk in the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh like unbelievers do. But we will bear spiritual fruit in our lives which is what we're called to do. Which means we will then see more joy in our lives, right? As we continue to see the fruit of the Spirit being produced in our lives, we are going to see more and more joy in our lives. Now as I've said before, joy is something that is commanded in Scripture. In fact, in chapter 4 and verse 4, of Philippians, Paul commands us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Twice he says rejoice there. And both of those are imperatives in the Greek, which means those are commands for us. That we are to rejoice. And because joy is a gift that comes from God, this command is not for us to try and manufacture or produce in our own lives, but this command is to accept this gift and walk in this gift that we already possess. You see that? We already possess the Spirit of God in our lives, right? And so we're called to walk then in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, then joy will be produced in our lives. Joy is not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we can produce in our lives. But it's something that is a gift from God that as we walk in the Spirit, God will be producing that joy in our lives. Because it's a gift from Him. However, when we lack joy in our lives, 
It's because we are choosing not to live our lives walking in the Spirit of God. But we choose the flesh over the Spirit, and we begin to fulfill the desires of the flesh, and we miss out on all that the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. The way that we miss out on the the fullness of joy that we can have through the Spirit of God in our lives is when we begin to rely upon ourselves and walk in disobedience to God. When you begin to rely upon yourself and walk in disobedience to God, you will see joy diminish. You will see joy go away. And you'll be wondering, why don't I have joy in my life right now? Answer, because you're not walking in the Spirit and you're not being obedient to Christ. That's why you lack joy in your life. Disobedience is a great killjoy in the believer's life. In 1 John 1.4, John tells us the purpose of writing his letter and he says this, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. That's why I'm writing this. So that our joy may be made complete. And then he goes on in chapter 2 and verse 1 and he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Let me tell you how joy will be made complete in your life. Don't sin. Walk in obedience to Christ and you will see joy complete, fulfilled in your life. He knew that sin is a killjoy in the believer's life and that disobedience to God will stifle the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. John knew that. Now, what is one of the sins that will stifle joy in our lives as believers? Let me tell you. Disunity among believers. Disunity among believers. Disunity will stifle joy in believers' lives. When believers are are bitter or angry with each other, and there are factions among brothers and sisters in Christ, this sin will steal joy away from those who are walking in this manner. Who are walking in disobedience. In fact, the sins... These sins are sins of the flesh that are listed in Galatians 5.20. Let me read it for you. Paul says in Galatians 5.20, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. But then he goes on and he says this, Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. That's the flesh. That's what the flesh produces. When someone is walking in the flesh, there's going to be enmities and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions. But when we're walking in the Spirit, then there is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, right? The fruit of the Spirit is being produced in our lives. And Paul knew this. And Paul understood how important it was to have unity within the body of Christ. And he understood that when there is unity, then there is great joy that is produced in the believer's life. When there is unity within the body of Christ, that is a joy-filled church. In fact, turn over to Philippians chapter 2 with me. And look at verse 2. In Philippians 2, in verse 2, he says this, Make my joy complete, notice this, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Notice that there. Same mind, same love, united, one purpose. What is that? Unity. It's unity. Paul knew that when there was unity in the body of Christ, then there is great joy that comes. That's why he says, make my joy complete. 
Be unified. There will be great joy in a unified church. And that's what we're going to see in our passage here this morning. Now, last week, as I said, we began to look at verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1, and we saw first, uh, we saw there the first of three types of relationships that bring us joy. Three types of relationships that bring us joy. And the first one that we saw was the joy of spiritual relationships. The joy of spiritual relationships. This morning we're going to look at the next two types of relationships that bring us joy. And so turn back to chapter 1 with me. And let me read our text for us beginning in verse 6. Paul says this, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In verse 6, we saw the confidence that Paul had because he knew that God had begun His work of salvation in the lives of these Philippian believers. And he knew that God would complete what he started. God started this work in their lives and he knew God is going to complete it because God will always complete what he begins. He knew that these believers in Philippi were children of God. Just like Paul was. He was a child of God. And therefore, it was the the special relationship, the special spiritual relationship that he had with them that brought him great joy. But there's a second type of relationship that brings believers joy that we find in verse 7, and that is the joy of united relationships. The joy of united relationships. Look at verse 7 there. Paul says, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. And we would stop there and we would ask this question. What is this feeling that Paul has for the believers in Philippi? What are you talking about here, Paul? What is this feeling? You say, it's only right for me to feel this way. What way? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, it's his feeling of of thankfulness. That we find in verse 3 where he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. It's this feeling of of joyfulness in verse 4. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And it's his confidence that is found in verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing. Thankfulness, joy, confidence. That's the feeling that Paul has. That's what he's talking about. Now, I want you to notice that word feel there. Notice that, feel. In the Greek, this is the word phreneo. And it means this. It means to think. To think. If you remember from a few weeks ago, I told you that one of the major themes in Philippians was the mind. The mind. How to think. Ten times this word phreneo is used in this letter in Philippians. Paul wants to teach this church how to think, how to use their mind. And although the the NASB translates this word here as feel, a literal translation of this word is to think. You see, Paul has more than just some kind of emotional feeling for them. Although there are emotions, but he's got more than just emotional feelings for them. Paul says, I'm using my mind, his his interior thoughts and attitude towards them. And in his mind, he was full of thankfulness and joy and confidence. That's how he thought about them. It was this this positive attitude of joyful thanksgiving for them. And he says, this is the right way for me to think about you with thankfulness and joy and confidence. 
I have great joy for you. One commentator says his positive attitude of joyful thanksgiving and warm affection for everyone is the right way to think and feel toward others in contrast to the negative attitude of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. And as Paul exemplified this type of thinking for them, he's modeling how they were to be thinking about each other. This is how you are to think about one another. In fact, what's, what's amazing is he's going to go on in chapter 4 and tell Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, I want you to turn over there because I want you to see this. Go to Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 2. Paul says this, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Notice that phrase there, to live in harmony. That phrase, to live in harmony, in the Greek is the word phroneo. To think. To think. What is he telling Yodia and Syntyche here? Be of the same mind. Live in harmony with one another. Think like one another. Think like each other. Be like-minded with one another. And what does it produce when believers are like-minded? When we think the same? What does it produce? Unity. It produces unity in the body. And what happens when there's unity between believers? There's great joy. There is great joy. A joy-filled body is a united body. Like-minded body. Filled with joy. And as Paul thought about the Philippians, it brought him joy because of the unity that he saw within the church and the unity that he had with them. They were like-minded. Now look back at chapter 1 and verse 7 again. And notice what Paul says there. He says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. About you all. Notice the unity even in Paul's thinking here. He doesn't say it's only right for me to feel this way about some of you. He doesn't say it's right for me to feel this way about all of you except for Yodi and Syntyche. You know those ladies in the church that are divisive, that are not unified with one another? It's right for me to feel this way about all of you guys in the church, except for those two ladies. <laughs> Paul doesn't say that. What does he say? You all. All of you in the church. Every single one of you. Paul continues to say all throughout this prayer. In verse 1, he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus. In verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now in verse 7, he feels this way about you all. Then at the end of verse 7, he says, you all are partakers of grace with me. And then in verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for you all. All of you. I'm not leaving anybody out. I love all of you. Every one of you in the church. Unity. As all of you come together. Paul keeps reminding his readers that he's not selective in his thankfulness and joy and love and affection for them. He's not selective. He loves all of them. He's joyful for all of them. He's thankful for all of them. Even though they weren't all perfect. <laughs> But he's joyful for every one of them and he embraces all of them. And he keeps unity in the church through his prayer even though there was some division in this church. Paul even in his prayer is unifying this church as he's writing to all of them. And he's thankful for all of them. And he's joyful for all of them. You know, one of the things that will steal joy from a church quicker than anything else is a lack of unity. A lack of unity. 
If you think about how many churches have gone through church splits, what has happened to those churches? It's a loss of joy. There's a loss of joy. You go into those churches after a church split and you will find people that are full of pain and sorrow and suffering and hurt and a loss of joy. Relationships become bitter. There's jealousy and anger that happens. There is hurt and there's pain that comes from these relationships and the church then is joyless. And once there's a seed of disunity that sprouts in a church, just watch and see how fast a joy-filled church will turn into a church that's full of bitterness and division. But Paul knew that unity and relationships brings joy to believers. He knew the church needs to be unified, like-minded, thinking the same. And when they're walking in that way, there's going to be great unity in that church and there's going to be great joy in that church. And as he thought about all of the Philippians, it brought him great joy. Listen, even thinking about Yodia and Syntyche... <laughs> still brought him great joy he loved them he cared for them but notice Paul's thankfulness and joy and concern and love for them was not just something that was in his mind but notice as he continues on in verse 7 there he says because I have you in my what heart because I have you in my heart now we often use the heart as a as a place of emotions with phrases like, I love you with all of my heart. And for us, that's telling someone that you have feelings for them. It's this romantic type of love, feeling, tingly feelings for someone else, right? But Paul knew the connection between the mind and the heart. That there's a connection between the mind and the heart. While love for someone starts in the mind as a thought, Paul expands his thoughts and conveys his feelings for them. He's saying, my mind and my heart are connected, and as I think about you, my heart responds, my feelings respond. His thoughts of them that started in the mind has moved into his inner being, into his inner heart. You see, in Scripture, the mind and the heart are very similar and often connected. They can't be disjointed. The mind and the heart are connected. One commentator says the heart is the center and source of the inner life with its thinking, feeling, and volition. In the heart, there is thinking. There is thinking that happens because your mind and your heart are connected. The heart is, is not just the place of feeling only, but it's also the place of thinking. It's your whole inner being. It's who you are. And Paul has a love for these Philippians that is conveyed not just in his thinking of them, but also in his feelings for them. Because it's all connected. If you begin to have bad thoughts about someone, guess what your feelings are going to be towards them? Negative. Bitterness. Anger. It's connected. But when you have good thoughts, positive thoughts of others, your feelings respond. Of love, concern, joy. And Paul knew this. Paul has a love for these Philippians. It's not just in his thinking, but it's also in his feelings. In all that he is. It's not just some kind of sentimental feeling that he has for them, but it's a commitment that he has that conveys a friendship that's willing to give his very life for them. That's how strong his desire is for them. 
His mind and his heart are for them to such a degree that he's willing to lay down his very life for them. In fact, he conveys this love for them in chapter 2 and verse 17. Look over at chapter 2 and verse 17. Notice what he says there. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. What is the, the drink offering? The drink offering was the last offering that was given in the sacrifices. He's saying, even as my life comes to the point of death, to the end, I'm pouring myself out for you because I love you. I care for you. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. I rejoice. I'll give my life for you and I will rejoice in it. He's willing to lay his life down for his friends and he knows that the church of Philippi is willing to lay their life down for him as well. Look over at chapter 2 and verse 25. Look at what he says there in verse 25. He says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs. The church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus to go over to Paul in Rome. They had sent him. Notice what he says in verse 26. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And notice then in verse 27. For indeed he was sick to the point of what? Death. To the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus was sent with this gift from the Philippian believers to go over to Rome, deliver it to Paul there in Rome while he's in chains. That's your, that's your duty, that's your responsibility, Epaphroditus. Will you go and do this? Epaphroditus says, yes, I will go and do it. Along the way, he gets sick. And he almost what? Dies. He almost dies. This man was willing to give his very life for Paul. And Paul says, and I'm willing to give my very life for you. Unity. And isn't this what Jesus tells us true love and friendship is? John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his what? Friends. For his friends. They had that kind of love for Paul, and Paul had that kind of love for them. They loved each other. And that created a relationship that was unified. They were unified. And Paul knew it. Look back again at chapter 1 and verse 7. Notice what he says there as he continues on. He says, Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and, and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Even though Paul was in chains in Rome, they didn't forget about him. They loved him. They were unified with him. They thought about him. They cared about him. And this meant a lot to Paul, seeing how unified they were with him even though he was in prison. They didn't just say, ah, well, stinks for you, Paul. Shouldn't have got yourself in prison. <laughs> You're on your own now. No, they were so unified with him. That when he is in chains, they send a gift to him. Epaphroditus, you got to go. Go minister to him. we got to send somebody to him. We love him. He's one of us. we got to care for him. And Paul knew this. Now, was Paul's imprisonment easy? It wasn't easy. He was on house arrest, but it wasn't easy to be there. And think about Paul up to this point. Think about... Paul's ministry up to this point. He has traveled the world preaching the gospel. He's had freedom to preach from city to city. He's been traveling all over. Three missionary journeys. 
going on and preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel with freedom. There was persecution along the way, but he just packed up and moved on to the next city, right? And continued to preach the gospel. But he had freedom to do all of this. He visited churches for years, teaching them and preaching the Word of God to them. But now he's chained to a prison guard in Rome. And even though he was in prison and chained there in Rome to a Roman guard, he knew that the Philippian church was with him in his suffering. And they were an encouragement to him. They were supporters of him. They were united with him. Whether he was in chains or whether he was freely out preaching the gospel, they were united with him. That's what he says there. Notice again in verse 7, since both in my imprisonment, that is, in my chains, and then he says, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's saying there, and even when I was freely out there proclaiming the gospel, giving a defense for the gospel, even while I was out there, you, Philippian church, were unified with me. You cared for me. You were with me. Paul, at at this point of time, writing this letter, was in chains for the sake of the Gospel, but they were still united with him as participants in the Gospel, as we saw in in verse 5. And even though he was in prison, the thought of the Philippians supporting and encouraging brought him great joy. Now notice at the end of verse 7, Paul says there, you all are partakers of grace with me. What does Paul mean by partakers of grace here? Some see this as their salvation. Essentially saying, partakers of grace, you're saved, I'm saved. Both of us have received the grace of God in salvation. Some see it this way. And while that is true, I think that there's more to it here than just their common salvation. I believe Paul has in mind here all that they share together as believers. And specifically in the context here of Philippians, the context is their giving and their suffering. Their giving and their suffering. Partakers of grace and their giving and in their suffering. Because they were so united to Paul and their common mission of the gospel that when Paul was in need, they gave to him a grace gift to make sure that he was comforted in his imprisonment. Right? That's what they did with Epaphroditus. They sent him over with a gift. Go take care of Paul. Make sure he's comforted. Make sure he's taken care of. We love him. We're united with him. And so they give him a grace gift. A gift that he gets that Paul doesn't deserve. A grace gift. But this church also suffered along with Paul even though they were 800 miles apart. How do we know? Look over at verse 29. Look at what he says in verse 29. Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experience the same, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Now remember, Paul's theology. We've talked about this before. Paul's theology. Paul saw everything as what? Grace. It was all grace. Everything was a grace by the grace of God. Was of the grace of God. That's his theology. Everything that he has, he deserves none of it. It's all by the grace of God. And not only was their giving to Him a grace of God, but also, listen to this, their suffering was a grace of God. Whoa. Suffering? A grace of God? You sure about this? You mean suffering is a grace 
from God for us? But the gospel that I hear is that Jesus wants me to have a happy life. He's going to solve all my problems and I'm never going to have suffering. That's the popular gospel that's out there today. Jesus is going to take care of all my problems. Every single one of them. And I'm going to live my best life now. But even suffering is a grace of God. Suffering is a grace of God. Notice there in verse 29 that word granted. See that word there? Granted is a verb form of the noun grace. It's a verb form of the noun, the word grace. In fact, one Greek lexicon translates this verse this way. You have graciously been granted the privilege of suffering for Christ. Suffering is a grace of God in my life? Yes, it is. And why does God graciously allow you to go through suffering? Because what does suffering do? It produces what? Endurance. It produces what? Faith. That's a grace of God. And if we hadn't gone through the suffering in our life, then that endurance wouldn't have been built up, then our faith wouldn't have been built up. But God says, I will put you through suffering. You're going to go through suffering in your life that is a grace of me so that your faith may be strengthened. So that you may produce endurance in your life. So that you might be sanctified and grow through the suffering in your life. And then when you come out of the other end of that suffering, you go, oh wow, praise God, my faith is so much stronger. Because look at what God has done in my life as he has taken me, brought me into this suffering, taken me through the suffering, and brought me out of this suffering. God has done all of this, and I trust him more. Oh, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the suffering that you brought into my life. It's a grace from you. And as Paul is there in prison and he is suffering for the sake of the gospel, he knows that his fellow Philippian believers are in Philippi and they are suffering for the sake of the gospel as well. And he says, we're unified in this. And it's all by the grace of God. They were united with Paul in this grace giving and in this grace suffering. Partakers of grace with him. And it was this unity that brought Paul great joy in his life. And it's unity within the body of Christ that brings us great joy as well, right? Because unity is, is commanded by us, or by God, for us in Scripture. And when we're obedient to God's Word, then the fruit of the Spirit flourishes in our life and we're filled with joy and so not only is there joy in spiritual relationships and joy in unified relationships but the third type of relationship that brings joy is the joy of affectionate relationships the joy of affectionate relationships turn back to verse 8 chapter 1 and verse 8 Notice what Paul says there. He says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, a lot of people think of Paul as some rough and tough kind of guy that doesn't have a lot of compassion for people. There are a lot of things that Paul says in his letters that sounds pretty harsh. Let me give you a few examples. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Oh, what a loving statement, Paul. He says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.21, What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod? Or with love and a spirit of gentleness? What do you want? You going to act like little children? You want me to bring the rod? Or are you going to grow up so I can come to you with, with love and a spirit of gentleness? 
Well, that's real loving, Paul. Sounds pretty harsh. To Timothy, he writes, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Wait, you handed them over to Satan? Is that really a loving thing to do? It sounds pretty harsh, Paul. And you might read words like this and think, boy, Paul was a really harsh man. But Paul wasn't harsh. Paul was loving. He was loving. And the things that he said were out of a heart of love and care and compassion for God's church. And he puts that heart of love and compassion for the church on display for us here in verse 8. Where he says that he longs for the Philippian believers with the affection of Christ Jesus. The partnership that they had with each other moves him to declare his love and affection for them. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been embarrassed to tell a friend that you love them? I think if we were honest, all of us would admit, yeah. I mean, it sounds too mushy and gushy, you know? To tell a friend that I love them. I mean, I'll tell my spouse that I love them. I'll tell my children that I love them. But to tell my friends that I love them? Yesterday after the conference, a pastor friend of mine who was staying with us this weekend, he gave me a hug and he said, I love you, brother. And I said, I love you too. He wasn't embarrassed. And Paul wasn't embarrassed either to tell this church how much he loved them. He wasn't embarrassed to show his affection for them. And his affection was so strong for these believers in Philippi that he calls upon God as his witness to plumb the depths of this longing and this affection for them. Notice what he says there at the beginning of verse 8. For God is my witness. His longing for them was so strong and so far beyond a mere human understanding that he calls on God as his witness. God can look at my heart and he can plumb the depths of my heart and see how much I love you, Philippian believers. And then God could testify that Paul's affection for them was the same affection that Christ has for them. That's how much he loved them. Which is what he calls on God to testify. Notice as, as he goes on there in verse 8, he says, How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul had a strong desire for his friends in Philippi, and he longed to be with them. He knew that in the circumstances that he was in, that that was impossible. He couldn't escape Rome. He couldn't escape the chains and go and see them, although he longed to be with them. He desired to be with those believers in Philippi. But he knew that once he was released, that he was going to do all that he could to go and see them. And Paul's desire for them is so strong at this point that while he is in Rome, since he couldn't go and see them, he's going to send the next closest person to him. You know who that is? Timothy. In fact, look over at chapter 2 and verse 19. He says this, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And notice this in verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. 
For they all seek after their own interests, not those in Christ Jesus. Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth that he has served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me and I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly. Paul says, Timothy will be concerned about your welfare the same way that I'm concerned about you. He's the next closest one to me. He's like my son. He is my spiritual son. And I love you so much, Philippian believers. I'm sending Timothy to you. He's free, I'm not. So he can go. And I'm going to send him to you because I love you so much. Because I know that he's going to be concerned about you the way that I'm concerned about you. I love you. And once I'm released, I'm trusting in the Lord that I'm going to come and see you too. We don't know for a fact whether Paul actually made it to Philippi or not. But we know that it, that was his desire. His longing desire was to be with these believers in Christ. And notice how strong this desire was. Notice back in verse 8. He longs for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That word affection there in the Greek refers to the internal organs, specifically the bowels or the intestines. It's a deep longing for them, a deep love, an inner love, affection that He has for them. It's as if He has butterflies for them because He longs for them so much. It's the, the internal seat of the emotions of love, compassion, and affection. But this strong affection for them was not just on a human-to-human -human level. It was in the sphere of Christ. It was His love for Christ and their love for Christ that united them and empowered Him to love them with a deep, strong compassion and love. I received an email this week from a faithful sister who said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you and for your family. It means a lot to know that I have brothers and sisters who are praying for me and for Sarah for our boys. It's that love and that affection that brings great joy. Great joy to our lives. I'm grateful for the love that we have for one another. And the love that we have for one another we have because of our love for Christ. Amen? It's in the sphere of Christ. It's because each one of us loves Christ and therefore we love one another. We have affection for one another. That, loves, that love comes from our, our unity that we have in Christ. And reading that email brought such joy to my heart knowing that I have faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for me. Because I need it. I need prayer. And it's that unity and that affection that we have for each other because we are in Christ that brings great joy in our lives. And as we walk in obedience to Christ and continue to live for Him and His glory, that joy will continue to flourish as the Spirit of God continues to sanctify us and produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy in our lives. Listen, church, there are many things in life today that will steal your joy away from you. Many things. But when we begin to think about the relationships that we have with each other, with fellow believers, and we stay united in Christ and love each other with the love of Christ, 
No one can steal that joy away from us. No one can. Because it's a joy that comes from the Spirit of God. It's a joy that we have that the world will never be able to experience because they don't know Christ. They might have circumstances in life that make them happy, but they will never be able to experience joy the way that you and I experience joy. Never. We have something special here in our relationships. And as believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can experience true joy as we walk in obedience to Christ in unity and in love. May we continue to be a church that's filled with joy as we pursue our relationships in Christ and remain united to each other as we live for Christ and for His glory alone. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank You for every brother and every sister who is here this morning. I thank You for their faithfulness to You. I thank You for the work that You continue to do in their lives, in our lives, by Your Spirit. Father, I love them. And I know that You love them. I know that You love them so much that You sent Your only Son to die on a cross for them and to be buried and to rise again on the third day for them. And Father, we're here this morning because we are united in Christ. We're here this morning because of the work that You have done in our lives. We're here this morning because of the spiritual work that You have done in taking dead hearts and making them alive. And Father, we rejoice and we thank You for the work that You continue to do. Father, I pray that you would keep us united in Christ. That we would continue to grow in our love for each other. That our love would be so strong for one another that we would be willing to lay down our lives for each other. Father, I pray that the world would look at Faith Bible Church and see a church that is filled with unity and with love. that they would realize that there is something different about Faith Bible Church. And Lord, we know there is. And it's not because of anything that we have done, but it's because of the work that You have done in our hearts. Father, I pray that You would continue to sanctify us, grow us in our love for You and our love for one another so that we might live for Your glory and Your glory alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.